Father, we just uh, welcome Natalia, Lord God, and we just pray right now that you'd touch her, you'd be with her, Holy Spirit, and that uh, the word that you've put on her heart, Lord God, would find good soil in us, Lord God. Father, that, uh, that you'd be with her every minute, every second, Lord God, guiding her words and her thoughts, Lord God, and Father, that um, all of us here this morning would hear your voice this morning, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, for her obedience. We thank you, Father, for Natalia, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so just while you're topping up your drinks and I'm sorting out my whole lots of paper, um, I'm going to steal a question I had to ask my year 12 students as we studied, um, or as we started to study I Am Legend. Um, what wouldn't you do to survive? Where's the line? Discuss. <laughs> just while I'm sitting out the papers, you can talk to the people next to you. What wouldn't you do to survive? <laughs> no, I'm not right. <laughs> um, okay, I just want you to, to hold those thoughts um, in your head. They will become relevant and clear um, shortly, maybe. Um, just at the start of this, Anna prayed um, that you know the the scattered thoughts would would come and find um, unity. Um, little did she know how relevant that is. The, there's so many things which have been happening um, the last couple of weeks, and. Um, I feel like I'm pulling on things that um, James and Matt have made me think about. We recently got to hear Mark Sayers and Rusham or Press from um, Laidlaw College speaking and things that they said and conversations with other church leaders around the city. And, um, yeah, just, um, and oddly, things that are happening at school that um, I've been thinking about, you know, at work. Um, and I was thinking, oh, how am I going to pull this all together? And Matt was like, are you sure you're going to be able to get this done? I'm like, we can always do a close viewing of Selma. You know, it's Martin Luther King. That's about kingdom of God if necessary. But, um, you know, I, I do, do really think there's some, there's some big things happening at the moment. And, you know, right in the start of Genesis, it talks about um, the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters and thinking about what Matt said and um, as, as Ryan was praying and the worship this morning, you know, that the, the spirit is just hovering here. But remember, that's not where it stayed. That was, that was the, the precursor. That was bef just before everything began as far as our stories are concerned. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to um, think about the, that, being in that space today and going out from there. So um, I'm going to start um, with the Lord's Prayer because with the kingdom of God, it's a good place to start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
And then, as we often end it, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, the, the thing I like with that is that right at the start, right through it, it identifies who the king is and what the point is to bring his kingdom um, into earth. It's not for us to be, it's not for the rapture, it's not for us to be saved, it's for the kingdom to be here on earth. Um, and that means it's very relevant, it's very real to our very um, everyday, boring, mundane, maybe stressful, um, very busy lives. Um, it's a prayer to, to pray every day. So this is something we want every day. And it focuses on who's in power, who deserves the glory and the honour, and it starts and ends there. So, you know, we talk about the kingdom, we identify the king, and yet when we look around the world, we've really been going for that whole idea of the, the kingdom without the king. If you talk to people in New Zealand, you know, they would love, they love to talk about um, a, a welcoming society where there's a place for everyone, where they want people to um, live their best lives. They want people to feel fulfilled. They want um, equality. Um, equality or fairness is a massive deal in New Zealand culture. It doesn't matter whether you are looking at... Um, so some surveys where research was done. And um, in, in New Zealand, it doesn't matter whether you are right, whether you are left, whatever political party, they will always t link back to fairness. Um, in contrast, um, oh, no, I won't say that, that's irrelevant. Um, but just that, that underpinning that when New Zealand was, was, um, became a, a country and when the, the um, Māori and the English first started working together, from the, um, the settlers' perspective, it was a really new phase it was a very recent phase in terms of um, the of the most recent wave of colonization, and um, there there were a lot more awareness of um, looking after. You know, we just had big, massive things in the in the UK um, when they were settling New Zealand um, about really, um, freeing slaves, about um, equality. Um, for voting rights, um, there were some really, really big changes that were that were happening in society that um, were all about equality and fairness, and almost all of them stemmed from the church. In fact, all of them, all of the big massive reforms to do with social justice, the the changes to the workhouses, um, the way poverty was dealt with, the way that health was dealt with. All of um, those things stemmed from um, the church. And when New Zealand was set up, there was that very strong awareness of fairness, making it fair, social justice. Didn't always get it right, but 
it has um, embedded itself in our country's um, psyche that that we we strive for social justice. Um, but we also decided when we um, came together as a country that we would be secular, which means we, we set ourselves up to say we want these kingdom things, but we don't really want the king. And you don't have to look very far to see how that's not going excellently for us. Um, the intention is there. The well-meaningness is there. But it's, it's not working. And, you know, just um, that, that idea of having a, a kingdom without a king um, is not new. In 1 Samuel 8, um, the, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They had the judges um, appointed by the, by the prophets, usually, um, to rule over them from Moses on. And um, Samuel's um, sons were appointed as judges, and they weren't particularly good. And so the people were upset. Um, their response was not to get rid of the human judges doing human things, but it was to ask for a king. And Samuel was really upset about it. And um, so he, he went and he talked to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them and warn them solemnly. Let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And he goes on to detail um, that he will um, he will take your people to be um, to um, plow their his his land. He will command his armies. He will um, take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards, your olive groves. He will take um, a tenth of your grain and of your, vin um, your vintage and give it to the officials and attendants. Um, he'll take the best of your cattle, your donkeys, your manservants and maidservants. He will take a tenth of your flocks. He will take a tenth of your... Um, and you and your, yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. And the Lord will not, be, it will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen. And they persisted. And so they ended up with um, becoming a kingdom, with an earthly king, with all the, the problems that come with earthly rulers. And... Um, you know, as, as Lloyd Rankin used to say, you know, people do people things. Um, we can have the best of intentions. We can want the best. But it is really, really hard. Um, they're not always things that work particularly well. Um, I am in a school which, like many schools, um, the, 
in endeavours to practice social, uh, sorry, restorative justice when things go wrong. And there are several problems with having a restorative justice system in any workplace or any school. Um, it is a great ideal, but right from the start, you've got people who are coming together from very different worldviews and very different perspectives. And often you have people who um, are not coming in with humility in that, into that situation. Um, you have people who are, who are coming in because they're told they have to, um, not because they want to. And the idea of restorative justice is that it is right from the start something where you both want to restore the relationship. And um, it's just one example of things in our society where we really have this great intent. And if you look at the Bible, restorative justice, that's what Jesus is all about. It's a great thing. But doing it without him in the equation is really hard. And I'm sitting there with these situations I'd never have imagined um, ever having to deal with in teaching. And when I'm sitting with the student or with other teachers and we're just, or the parents just considering this student, it seems really obvious. This is the best thing for this student. And then I think what that looks like for all the other students and for all the other teachers, and that's really not the best thing for them. And I'm there with several situations, several things happening, going, how does this work? And this is, you know, a class of less than 30 kids, and I can't make it work for all of them. Yet somehow God has a plan and can make this work for all of us. Exactly. It is so crazy. And so why don't we let him be king? You know, this is, this is the, the crux of it. I'm sitting there going, there must be a solution. And I can't see a solution without God at the center and taking the reins and just letting go. But the difficulty is maybe three people in the conversation, which involves all of us, actually care what God has to say. As it says in Samuel 8, the people have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not rule over them. That even when told how this would work out, they still chose that. And I think, um, I think it was N.T. Wright who talks um, about the importance of making sure people know the king before we talk about the kingdom. Because the thing is, so many people, when you say, this is what Christianity is about, they're like, yeah, yep. I'm for those things too, but don't need to be a Christian. Don't need to believe in God. Don't need to believe in Jesus. Don't need to follow him to have those things. But maybe if they knew him, they would realize that they do. We do need those things. 
it's a, yeah. So when we think about the king, just want to remind you of a few, few things um, that we learn about the king. Psalm 74, um, verse 12 says, But you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up every flowing rivers. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Um, we also have in Psalm, um, no, so I'll come back to that. Jeremiah 10, 10. Um, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world in, by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the water in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and brings out the winds from his storehouses. Um, his Jesus's title, King of the Jews, used to mock him, but actually him in the most powerful moment. And in Timothy, it says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. That is who our king is. He is wise he made this work. He has understanding. There's a lovely version of, um, a, a lovely rewriting of um, some of the books of um, Words in Job by Tarautani. You know, how, how can we, um, who can stand against the winds? You know, who can, who can stand against the waves? Were you there when I created the, heavens when I made the stars, you know, and then echoing Moses. How can we move? How can we go without your spirit? It really would be foolishness to try and live our lives um, without his spirit. So um, this, this is where we are. We've, we've got this... Um, this country without a king, but a country that desperately wants those things. And we're beginning to see as this time of crisis comes, you know, we've got anxiety rates through the roof at schools while kids are trying to wrap their heads around so many things that are coming against us. Because prior to this, we have had, especially in New Zealand, um, some of the most comfortable living um, in all of human history. You know, we, we have actually had it really, 
really good. Um, we may um, know that our, our poverty levels, our child poverty levels in particular, are, are high, but they are still nothing compared to much of human history and much of the rest of the world. And now we're coming into this phase where we're really uncertain with the, the rising water levels. So many of our Pacifica neighbours and people who, whose, and, um, whose relatives are still there here in New Zealand, knowing that some, some of their places have already disappeared. They've already been swallowed up by the sea. That we are facing much the same. When Matt and I were looking, to, looking at houses last year, learning how many houses just wasn't even worth putting an offer in because they were uninsurable. Because the water levels would mean that that place would basically be flooded by the time we paid off the mortgage most of the time. Um, so, you know, just, just knowing that, um, that pressure, the whole uncertainty with COVID, how that has changed so much... And, you know, the ridiculous thing is that while we've lived in this time of extreme comfort in New Zealand, we've had such high suicide rates. We've actually had really high depression. Because actually, as much as we say the most important thing is that our kids are happy, that's not what it's about. That's a very thin measure of purpose and happiness in the moment doesn't, doesn't actually really count for much at all. I mean, any parent will know there are so many times when you go, I'm going to make you unhappy now because it's going to be worth it in the end. <laughs> because I know if I keep letting you go down this path, you know, if I look at um, the, the students who's, who have gone to schools where the focus of the school has been the happiness of the students, they come to secondary school and within weeks often, they are so anxiety-ridden because they look at students from other schools and they go, I can't read, I can't write, I really struggle with maths. And the parents say, I don't understand what happened. They used to love going to school. When you don't know, when you see you're falling behind, it becomes really, really hard. When, you, when your focus hasn't been on what, is in that, what you are meant to be in that space for. And it's looking to the first principles of, you know, what's the, what's the purpose of this. One of the things that, um, that motivates me with teaching is that I, I see it as a very core thing for being a Christian. We are instructed right, right back, right in the beginning, to, um, to learn, to understand, to question, to wrestle with the Word of God. We are not told it's easy. Just read it, you'll understand it, it's fine. 
You know, it's, it's really not. And there's bits and we do wrestle with them. We're like, this says this, but that says that. And how does this work? And how do I make sense of it? And how can, you know, you get all the um, great questions. How can God be good when there's so much suffering, when there's so much pain? How can God have, have said to those people, you'll cry out, but I won't answer you? How can a loving God do that? But then again, you know, I'm a parent, I'm a teacher, and I know that if I don't have those boundaries, those kids are never going to learn, they're never going to grow, they're never going to mature. That there's this big picture, there's an end game here that we need to be going back to. And that often our, um, our everyday kingdom living is actually that struggle. How do we live in this world with those principles? How do we be a testimony in that moment? How do I make sure that this student and this student and this student all feel valued and loved and equally cared for and feel that their education is equally important when I can't see a way that those three people can be in the same room, possibly even the same school, <laughs> successfully. Where sometimes you get asked, you know, what can I do to stop my kid being kicked out of school? And there is no easy answer. And it's really hard. It's really hard. So, we're, we're living in this time of crisis. I mean, I, I don't know if you follow the international news. I think growing up, we always used to listen to the BBC and, you know, f following. And because of, again, being in India, in an international school, it was always relevant to someone in the school directly. Um, so, it made it a lot more real. Um, and, you know, again, coming to New Zealand after living in India in the 80s, um, New Zealand had it really easy, <laughs> and we still do. Um, just the, the political turmoil there, I mean, I think in the 80s we had two assassinations, or was, oh, one was in the early 90s, um, in, of, um, so India and then Rajiv Gandhi, and that... that they really, those, the ripples of the, those effects, those events are still hitting and rolling through India now with Modi. Um, that, that what is happening in India now is, has repercussions from that um, and has roots in that, in that and even further back. Um, and, you know, if we look, we've seen what's happening in the UK with Boris Johnson, in um, Japan with Abe, with um, all the, all the um, division between the Supreme Court and the, um, the government in the US. And all this, all this turmoil, all this confusion, um, and this, this fighting, and really, really unsettling time. And along with this, we've got the, 
the um, infighting of um, left within the left and the right within the right. And then we've also got the climate crisis. We're also dealing with COVID, all these different things going on. And then we've got things where um, kind of wars are, are going from theoretical to re real wars. We're seeing, um, you know, the, the ongoing problems in um, the Middle East with um, Syria and then coming out with Ukraine and what's happening in Europe in response to that. And it's just leaving everything a little bit unsettled. But historically, there is hope because, um, as, as Mark says, um, pointed out to us recently, um, crisis precedes renewal. He's studied renewal um, extensively, and um, crisis precedes renewal. So if you think about that question you asked, what wouldn't you do to survive? How many of you thought of Daniel? and said, I wouldn't bow down to another god. Or how many of you went to the pop culture kind of things that we see? Oh, I wouldn't resort to cannibalism. <laughs> I wouldn't resort to killing a family member. The, the reality is, yeah, this is what, these are, when we think about survival, because of what's in our media all the time, those are the things we, places we go to. We don't go to the much more real things of, you know, Daniel, which is actually more likely <laughs> than having to resort to cannibalism. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so what wouldn't you do to survive? Um, often tells us, actually, how do we respond when we think of crises? Is our first place prayer? Because if our first place isn't prayer, then really we're not in the kingdom of God. This is what everyday Christianity is like. We may never see the fruits of many of our prayers, but that doesn't stop us planting the trees. I know how much my grandparents prayed for um, me and my siblings and my cousins. I know that that they would, um, that they knew that they wouldn't see their great-grandchildren. But it didn't stop them praying for them. My grandmother in particular, mum's mum, was a fantastic woman of prayer. And she just, just that poured out from her. That we don't pray for things just because we're not going to see them. So when we think about these things, we think about those, those first principles. What is the purpose of family? What's the purpose of church? What's the purpose of your workplace? And then you look at that and you go, well, if that's the purpose, how does it line up with the kingdom? And am I honouring and am I inviting God to be the king of my family, the king of my church, the king of my workplace?
we see um, so many so many things where we can see the potential for good. And that's, that, I think, is such a, an amazing thing about humanity, that we do, we can look and see all these things. But we also have confidence because we can look back. And this is where the testimony, Ryan mentioned, you know, the testimony, looking back and saying, Lord, you've done this before. Do it again. Come in, step into this place. As we go into these waves of crises where we're being reminded that we're not in control. We cannot control nature. We cannot control other people. We do not have the power that as much as many politicians um, might think, well, I was voted in, so you know, I, I can do whatever I want. They don't. They can't. That actually... God has the ultimate power. And rather than fighting that, let's partner with him. As Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. Let's ask him what he's doing in our workplaces, in our families, in our church, in our communities, in our city. Um. I've been thinking a lot about what this looks like for the next steps. I was thinking about how, you know, several years ago we used to do HOTS. And the, um, it's, it's scary. I think every time I didn't want to do it. <laughs> um, HOTS is a, um, an acronym for healing on the streets. And we would go out set up usually somewhere near the umbrella thing in Cuba, um, Cuba Street, um, not Cuba, the country. <laughs> um, but, you know, we'd go there and we'd just um, say, hey, we believe in Jesus, we believe he um, is um, alive and at work today in, in us and in the world, and we would love to pray for you. Is there any way we can pray for you? If we saw someone who had an obvious um, need, we would ask if we could pray for them to meet that need. And we had some really crazy stories from, from physical healing to someone who was trying to get to back to their family in Vanuatu, being able to get a ticket back to, to their family. Um, you know, it was really, really random um, things. And, you know, the thing was, each time God moved, God did things. It didn't make it any easier the next time. <laughs> um, yep, the power of testimony is amazing. It was great to come back with some of those stories. Um, some of them we never heard from again. Some of them did let us know, you know, what had happened if it was a long-term thing. But I was thinking about things like that. I was thinking about um, going into places and going, going out. Um, you know, there's a lot of decentralization, shaking up of things. And we need to work out what's, what's the way to take this out now. Um, you know, for many years, 
people at church have, have gone down and um, in, in different ways, different churches around the city, not just um, CV, but have fed people and looked after people on Friday nights. It's a really depressing place, Courtney Place on Friday night. Um, and, but at the same time, this is when you see the people have realized the kingdom without a king isn't working. They're looking for a king. They are really looking for a king. And if we don't introduce them to the king, if we go out there saying, this is what the kingdom's like, they're not going to get it. They're not there for the kingdom. They're there for the king. When they meet the king, they'll care about the kingdom. We can't legislate the kingdom. We saw this in, in the Bible over and over again. You cannot legislate kingdom living. It has to be done with the spirit. It has to be done with the king. And so my... Um, challenge, my, my call, um, my fuero to you today is how do you invite the king into your everyday life? And how do you introduce people to the king in your everyday life? It's scary, but I think it's worth it. I'm just going to end with the promise in Revelations. You know, we've had that, um, and, and I really felt in worship that, that hovering of the Spirit, um, like in Genesis. And then right here in Revelations 21, um, go from, well, I'll go from the start. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And so we are encouraged to, to help call that new city down here now today. We are called to prepare ourselves as, as the bride of Christ. And here it is, the holy city, with all these beautiful mixed metaphors, but hey, um, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And over and over we hear that. And they will be his people and he will be their God. I'll just pray. Um, yes, Lord, I pray that you will 
you will be our God, that we will be your people. That every day, as we work, as we look after our children, as we um, interact with our flatmates, family members, um, bus driver, whomever, Lord, that, that you will be in those interactions as our God. Lord, I pray that you will give us all wisdom in our workplaces during this time, with our families, with our communities, of how to be your, your servants, your people, your bride. Amen.